Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a very special guest. His name is Archie Richards, and he's publishing a book coming up, a very timely, important book, considering the state of the United States. And the title of that book, which will be published on September, in September of 2021, is America's Bankruptcy Approaches, How to Resolve the Issue and Prevent It from Reoccurring. Again, the author's name is Archie Richards. It's not his first book. Last year, he wrote America's Governments, Enemies of the Poor, published 2020. And then in 20, 2007, he wrote Understanding Exchange Traded Funds. So he's very apt and has skilled knowledge about financial markets and financial issues. And he can talk more about that. So Mr. Archie Richards, are you there? I certainly am, William. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thanks for agreeing to the interview. For people may not know of your background, can you talk a little bit about yourself, maybe your professional career, and what led you to write this book, America's Bankruptcy Approaches? Well, I, I started out in the investment business. I was, a, uh, I was uh, registered with the Security and Exchange Commission as an investment advisor. And, uh, but then I, I became a, a nationally syndicated columnist I, I wanted to try to persuade people how to avoid brokers. <laughs> and I, I found I loved writing, especially about money matters. It was called Richards on Money Matters. And I did that for quite a number of years. And then uh, I'm also, there's a piano in my background. I'm also a concert pianist. And I went back to that and did that professionally for a number of years. And, uh, but then when the lockdown came, I was no longer able to go to play, so I, I had already written a number of monthly columns uh, on on uh, on, on uh, current affairs, and I thought, well, why don't I just? I had done that for three years, and I to my friends and to the local newspaper, and I thought, why don't I just turn those into a book? And that the result of that was was my last book, uh, America's. Uh, uh, America's governments, enemies of the poor, and then I still had some material available, and and wrote this one that I consider to be the best book I've ever run, and that is America's bankruptcy approaches. That really is terrifying, and I think it's very important to address the issue. I agree. And so, can you explain for people who may not know the current financial predicament of the United States what the situation is? Well. The current, <laughs> there's a lot of people who are making predictions, not too many talking about the, 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 the possibility of, of, of America's bankruptcy fairly soon. And I consider it uh, very important because right now we are in the midst of inflation caused by a tremendous increase in the volume of money that the government has created beginning in March of 2020. Now, after that, it started, and it's, it's been at the rate of about 23% a year. And it hasn't been at that rate since 1940s. Uh, and uh, so we, we are facing significant inflation. Right. I think, I think the stat was it's the most money that's been created over the history of the United States. Like more money was created in the last two years than was ever created in the United States. Yes, and it's all done by the, most of it by the federal government, by the Federal Reserve, which creates the money out of nothing. And they, uh, they thought, well, we'll just keep going and we could, we'll just keep interest rates low and uh, that'll be okay. Well, it isn't going to stay low because inflation brings up, not only does it bring up 
prices, it also causes interest rates to rise. And when the interest rates rise, they begin, the cost of carrying the debt begins to crowd out current expenses. And, and then at that point, if, especially if the government has to borrow in order to pay the interest, you're really in a pickle then. Right. And we're already financing our own current debt, I think, at very low interest rates. But if those interest rates rise, the whole balance sheet of the government changes, right? Exactly. And that is inevitable because as uh, because after the significant increase in the price of, of money supply, then comes rising current uh, currency prices, not currency, uh, commodity prices. Right. And after You're that, already, right. we're already seeing that. Right? We've already seen that. And now we're seeing an increase in the in the economy. And following that is is, is a significant increase in the cost of money. Right. And so you talk about the 10 year bond as a very important standard. How is that changing interest rate going to affect everything? Well, it is it doesn't it does not change. It is merely an indicator of what the general because that's considered the bellwether bellwether of uh, of of interest rates. And it's considered the most important of the interest rates. It's the, it's the lowest 10-year. It's the 10-year bond, and it uh, is an enormous volume of, of, of activity. And uh, it's just considered the, the, the best indicator of treasury, treasury interest rates. Now, right now, it's still low, but it is going to stay there. I mean, you're really, we're really kind of at a precipice. So... Um, can you talk about uh, the, what the deficit spending is right now? Do you remember offhand what percentage we're paying to finance the deficit from our income? I don't remember. I'm sorry. Okay. I don't have a very good memory. <clears throat> I think it's, it's like it's 70, I think you wrote 17% of the GDP is um, pay, financing the deficit. So we're, our GDP, I think, is like six and a half trillion. So we're spending a significant amount of money to to have this huge debt. Um, oh, I think the GDP is gross domestic. Maybe yeah, it's more. I guess that. you're right. Yeah. Um, so All those figures are in the book, right? So I mean, I it's, it's a very detailed book. What do you think? Um, so we have this huge debt. We're spending like crazy. There could be even more spending. There's this proposed. They're calling it an infrastructure bill, right? That could be another two trillion. What's next? Well, I don't think they should spend any money on on uh, on infrastructure because I think that the best way to deal with the issue of the debt is to is to offer our the debt that is owed to the United States is to offer the <laughs> I'm getting tied up offer to corporations mostly the things that the federal government owns. It owns about almost $5 trillion of gold. We should sell that in return for a portion of the amount of the debt that's owed to the United States. And then the United States government owns 28% of the total amount of land in the United States. That's an enormous amount. Of, and, and I think they should sell that to the corporations in return for taking over the debt. And that includes the rivers 
and the, the, the 12 mile portion of the ocean that's, that surrounds our, our nation. And it includes the mountains and the prairies and, and the aquifers and the rivers and lakes. It should all be sold. Sold to just corporations. But I mean, who holds our debt right now? It's mostly China, correct? Oh, no, it's mostly the United States. A portion of, the, of our debt is owned by, by foreign nations, but not the majority. Most of it is owned by the United States people. Gotcha. So the United States are, are individuals. And, and what, I mean, you'd write in your book, I think Argentina has defaulted on its debt like nine times. They just yes. you know, default every 10 years. What would be the, the response if the U.S. just decides not to pay its debt? It would be very serious because the debt is owned by the people of the United States and the banks of the United States. Like when a bank, when you put a deposit in the bank, a portion of that deposit goes into the purchase of United States bonds. Well, if those bonds aren't paid, bingo, the big banks is, is way behind on its, on its liabilities. And, and the insurance companies own tremendous amounts of the United States debt. All those things would we would suffer tremendously. And so if we did kind of strategically try to sell or lease or somehow put into holding government assets, I mean, it just seems like it would diminish the the viability of the country to a certain extent because those holdings would never be in the government control, right? Well, yes, but we, we want to get, we, we don't want those governments to have so much liability because they'll likely de default on it. So we want the government to get rid of those liabilities and have the liabilities owned by corporations and individuals. And those are people are, who are in a position to create wealth. And those that create wealth manage over time to diminish their liability. Governments never do that. Almost never. Right. They all increase. All the governments of the world always take on more and more debt. There's just it's a constant uh, story of most. Maybe Germany's the one exception or something like that, but they really are addicted to overspending. It certainly is. And they're over addicted to too much, too big a governments all over the world. Right. And, and you and that's one point of your book on the solution of how to stay out of debt is addressing the problems with our government. Yes. Can you talk about that? Yes. I think that the government should be re tremendously reduced. The most important thing is to limit the U.S. House and Senate members to one term each. Two years for the House, six years for the Senate. Hopefully we get a, a, a constitutional amendment to reduce the Senate from six years to four years. We want people to come in and to serve with very low pay because it's their term to serve and then just get out. Right. That would be actual service, right? Like actual, yes. not yes. just uh, living off the T, you know, the, like a tick on the governmental body, body wherever. Like I think my Senator uh, has been in there for like 30 or 40 years. She's a geriatric Feinstein and I don't, she doesn't have a lot to talk about it. I mean, there's just give it to, it's interesting because, yeah, it's just it's just crazy. Some of these there's no term limits on there, and they're all the America. I think the American people, seventy five percent, want term limits, but it just never happens because nobody in D.C. wants it. And here's the key: when a constituent 
calls his representative and says, I want you to do such and such and such for me. And if you don't do it, I'm going to vote you out of office. The person who's in office can say, well, that's okay, because I'm going to be leaving anyway. Right. That's which a good means, point. Which means that the members of Congress are be less uh, influenced by the desires of the, of the electorate. Right. Well, that's also an interesting point, because if you shorten the terms, too, a lot of these guys spend most of their time raising money for the next campaign. They're exactly. not even doing the work of the government. It's totally corrupt. All the yeah. incentives are mixed up. Yes. Oh, man. I mean, that's just one small part of your solution, too, is that because there's a whole host of other problems. That's probably why we have so much debt. Like you talk about government bureaucracy. You talk about a lot of that stuff. Can you talk about the incentives of the bureaucracy? The in <laughs> incentives. The incentive, the government bureaucrats, first of all, they can't be fired, which means that they're relatively unaffected by the desires of the people because, oh, that's, that's their problem. We're in power and we continue to be in power and we don't really care that much whether they suffer or not. And also, um, uh, they, uh, they're, they don't want to be blamed. And thirdly, they want pay. They want to be good pay. And they are paid well. They're paid about 70%, including benefits. They're paid about 70% more than people with equivalent jobs in the private sector. Right. I mean, it's incredible. It's really a gravy train because they also have very... Uh, you know, their packages on retirement are incredible. Oh, and wonderful. So much for, for Congress, too, actually. Yes. Uh, if you've been to serve one term in Congress, you get 90% of your pay for the rest of your life. Oh. It's incredible. I mean, they, yeah. write, they write the laws for themselves. It's super corrupt. Yeah. Oh, boy. So, yeah, the government bureaucrats, I think Trump, one of the first things he did was stalled all government hiring, which was very smart. So they just, through yes. attrition, they just got smaller. And, I mean, those guys said, I mean, it's they don't produce much. I mean, the Department of Education, don't get me started. Like, there's a lot of this book. I was just like, amen, amen. It was, they, don't, uh, they do produce altogether too much because most of what they produce is harmful. Well, that's a good point too, right? Um, so you talk about that. You say, uh, well, there's another one that, that gets banded around, but it'll never happen. What's up with the Federal Reserve? The Federal Reserve has done a rotten job trying to control the economy. It's supposed to they think that they can tell whether the economy is has over overreached, has become too excited, and that they, they should reduce it. And then they think that they can tell whether the economy is is uh, is suppressed too much. Well, the truth truth is that nobody can tell those things. Certainly, the federal can. The Federal Reserve Bank cannot. The, the Federal Reserve Bank's effort to control the economy has caused has caused tremendous volatility in the economy, way up and way down. And when it goes down, the people that get hurt the most are the poor. Poor, right. Yeah, I mean, that's really what it, I mean, isn't it really just there to uh, maintain the social status quo, in, in my opinion? I mean, it's really just there for the rich. It's rich bankers who own it. It's a privately held corporation, right? Well, no, it's basically owned by other banks, but it's right. not, not right. it's owned by by the district banks, district Federal Reserve banks, which are, I guess, partly owned by the private, but basically it's a government organization. 
Okay. Well, and and the purpose of government organizations is to retain their power. Well, I agree with that. No, I agree. With, I mean, look at all the stuff you go into quantitative easing, shadow banking, yeah. repo loans. Can you discuss kind of the tricks they use? Well, uh, shadow banking, it was not created by the federal government. It was created by banks. Uh, in effect, it means that people, they're able to borrow large amounts of money at very low rates in order to finance the trade that's coming from Asia to the United States. And it's, it, it, it's a very risky form of, I, I'm, I, I'm not prepared to pr describe it in, in one minute. It's a very risky form of, of borrowing. And, it, it's, uh, and when, 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 the, when, when the, the problems hit the fan, as they say, that, those shadow bankings are, 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 gonna, are gonna go busted. Gotcha. So the shadow banking, I mean, isn't the quantitative easing just their way to manipulate markets to make sure they're up or whatever to maintain, maintain, well, they, the think continuing. That, they think that they're presenting, preventing the economy from failing, right. but basically they, they, uh, it's not doing that. The federal, the federal reserve makes so many mistakes. For example, when interest rates go down, they assume that it's because the economy is weak. Well, that sometimes is the case. It certainly was the case in the Great Depression, but it is certainly not the case now. And it, and in, in uh, it is not never has been very seldom the case in Switzerland, for example, which has a which has a, a very strong economy prevailingly over many years. Uh, and so when they see the interest rates go down, they assume that it's going to, that the economy is weak and they flood the economy with money, even though it's not necessary. Right. The Federal Reserve has done a miserable job and it should be done away with. All of the things that the Federal Reserve does should be, can be done by the private sector and should be done by the private sector. But now the most important thing or a very important thing that should be done after the uh, the uh, the econ the uh, government gets rid of its liabilities is to reduce the government sector, that is the all three levels of the government, federal, state, and local. Right now, those constitute about thirty seven percent of the GDP. That's incredible. It's it should be number. it should be ten percent, which is what it was in the eighteen nineties. Yeah, it's just grown. It's just like a big tumor, you know, yeah. it's just grown and grown and all this top down stuff. Yeah. There's also many redundancies between the federal governments and the states. Yeah, it's just like this doesn't make sense. It doesn't. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, a lot of that stuff has to be pared down. And that's probably why we have a huge debt is there's a lot of things that are getting spent. I mean, you could actually you could another solution to this bankruptcy is like cut the military spending in half. You could save five hundred billion dollars and even that over time. You know, that'd be one thing over time that could take the pressure of the debt from going up. Well, for, for one year. For yeah, one, I mean, I mean you have bit. to lessen it over time. I mean, the, yeah, it's, but the, the deficit, the defense budget is 700, about $790 billion. So it's under a trillion. Well, you know, the current talk, right now they're talking $2 trillion for the infrastructure. That's twice what the, the defense department is spending. 
know, it's just incredible that they're going to go back and try to pass that. I don't even know if that's going to get passed. I hope not. <clears throat> I know. Another just... thing that another thing is to do. There are two point eight billion million federal bureaucrats. Two point eight million federal bureaucrats. They are operating under the civil service system, and I think that the entire civil service system should be done away with. And most of those two million people should be let go and let them do something positive for the economy for a change instead Good of point. negative. Right. Yeah. I mean, think about how that would flip if they're actually producing into the economy instead yes, of just exactly. taking out of the national fest. No, that's yes. really important. Yeah. We should go back to what people consider to be a terrible system, which is the the spoils system that prevailed until 1888. But the spoils system did very little harm and that is when the president was able to hire whoever he wanted to, whoever helped him to get into power, he could hire those to help him uh, and uh, be on their cabinet. That's called the spoil system because the people who wanted to get into power could give, give money to help the president get elected. But they did relatively little harm and they were not in power for long. As soon as there was a different party came into power, they all got fired. Well, you, you can't fire the civil service system because they got it rigged. Right, right. That's the way it works. And they all rig it once they get in. The same things with it's a lot of these teaching systems. You can't even fire a teacher. There's all kinds of stuff. It's just better to put them in a back room and bam, have them yeah. do nothing than fire them. It's really, yeah. it's really incredible. It's actually unbelievable that they get away with that. Well, they get away with it because money, in many cases, it's unions. And I think that the un unions existed today only because of federal law. Yeah, and right. and I think those laws should be repealed so that unions, I mean, we could allow employees to form unions, but it should not be supported by the federal government. Federal government, right. And you kind of have that mentality, that idea of a lot more competition in a lot of these places would save us money, especially like think about one well, of the healthcare expenditures as well, the lacking competition in healthcare is driving prices up. And a lot of those, you know, there's a lot of payments that go out for people over 65, Medicare, Medi-Cal. Yes, exactly. Don't you think, you know. Yes, the healthcare system is twice as expensive. It's twice as expensive as it should be. And it would become less expensive if people had to pay the first, say, $2,500 or $3,000 of their medical costs each year, they had to pay that individually. By doing that, they would become aware of what the costs are, of what the prices are. And they would, you know, when somebody comes in, like, for example, I, I fell recently, not a year ago, and, and had a bad gash on my arm, I think it was. Well, I took a cab and they brought me to the hospital and I was in the emergency room for t almost a day. The cost was $2,000. If I had instead said, take me to a clinic, they would have fixed up my arm for maybe $150. Tremendous savings. You got off cheap, actually. I've heard of much worse bills showing up at people. And that's a whole other thing. Trump tried to have transparency in the billing process, too, with these hospitals. Yes. I don't know if that ever happened. I mean, that... Uh... It's not happening now, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I said, you, laugh, you have to laugh or you cry. It's so corrupt and it's just people have gotten used to these means that are really overly expensive. I think probably a lot of those expenditures on their corruption. I know for a fact 
that one of the stimulus bills under Obama, some of those guys didn't do that work. Like I was in California, that TARP money just it just disappeared. Like there's no real oversight over where that money's going either. There's no auditing as far as I know, which is really scary, which should really terrify people where that money goes from these huge expenditures. And I don't think the, the, the liberals care what happens to it. I think all they want is power and they feel they can gain power by giving out money and then people will therefore vote for them. You know, another way that the government should, the government sector should be reduced to 10% is that all schools, right from kindergarten to universities, should be owned privately, and none of them should be financed by the government. government had, there's been that kind of movement. I don't think it had a lot of success, but yeah, I mean, that's a good idea. It'd probably save money too. Oh my goodness, and it would improve the quality of education. And especially improve the quality of, of in universally university education. This is where all these cockamamie liberal ideas are, are generated within the universities. Right, right. You and, say stop funding, uh, stop funding universities too. Yes. Oh, yes. Very important. You want to talk about a corrupt system there? Look at the student loan issues and all the stuff. How they make money? Absolutely. Where that money goes? Some of those people are making incredible amounts of money scamming young and naive kids into getting loans. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, there's so many problems. I mean, a lot of money could be saved, you'd have, but the whole system has to be reformed or readapted. I mean, the other thing is who cares? I mean, right now the votes don't even matter. You've got black box, black box voting and uh, a government <laughs> that can't val validate their own victory of 2020. That's right. Well, I think that that, that issue is going to be resolved. I think there's going to be forensic audits in quite a number of, of, of states. And I think that the, the, the election of 2020 will be reversed. And I expect that within about 12 months before the 2022 election, that Biden will be removed from the White House and Trump will be reinstated. Well, he won. I mean, I, I think they have to audit all 50 states because I live in California and nobody here likes the people here. I thought I think that the I think you mentioned Patrick Byrne in your book, but I think he mentioned that like the actual uh, differentiation between the two parties isn't 50 50. It's really closer to 65 35. That all what you call liberals, what I call the left, the authoritarian left. I don't think they're liberal anymore. Our actual yeah, classical correct. definition of liberalism the left is definitely not. So that's in You're my correct. Opinion. Correct. But uh, yeah, no, it's a real problem. The, the, it really just surfaced in 2020. It was so egregious. It's probably been going on for decades. It's been going on for 105 years, oh, ever go. since okay. Teddy Roosevelt. 115 years. Well, I was just reading about the Kennedy. When Kennedy won, he just had to take two states, West Virginia and Illinois. And so they focused on West Virginia, West Virginia and Illinois. And so the left this time they just needed those six swing states so they yeah. focused on the urban areas there and that was it that's right so yeah it's uh it's really grotesque too and i think you also mentioned how many of these very wealthy people paid to influence the election as well yes it is weird that the people who are wealthy seem to report that they they seem to want the left to be in power and and it's, it's stupid. It's stupid of them to want to do that. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, yeah, it's very yeah. odd. But, you know, I think that 
that, that the left has gone so far to the left and so far out of the mainstream of American thought that I think that the people are going to be willing to accept the kinds of ideas that I suggest. Namely, I would agree with that, yeah. No, you're right. They're really extreme. The real predominant power of the left is like crypto neo Marxism. I mean, it's really, and all their ideas, the critical race theory is just fantasy land intellectualism. It just has no basis in reality, but that's part of the psychological power of it. That's why they're ramming it down people's throats. They want to mind rape them. That's really what critical race theory is. Absolutely. Oh, man. So you go into a lot of that. You talk about um, the breach of the Capitol. So a lot of these things are very pertinent, I think, for the overall view of the country that, like, the left doesn't, not acknowledge that the reason why the Capitol people were angry on July 6th is what happened on November 3rd, right? Exactly. So they've, but you know, I think January 6th was partly caused by the government because when Obama was in for eight years, he put in his people into the top, uh, uh, the top echelons of the, of the most important uh, agencies, namely the FBI, the CIA, the NSA, and the Justice Department. And those people are now, they're now basically run by liberals. And I think that the, I understand that the FBI was part of the people that that went into the Capitol on January 6th. Right, well, they get caught instigating all kinds of stuff right now. The whole thing about Whitmer in Michigan was instigated by the FBI and the other guys were probably hapless, didn't know what was going on. Yes. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if what happened January 6th was actually an operation. I think you mentioned in your book that like Trump's speech ended only like 10 minutes before, after oh, that no. 10 minutes then, yeah. No, but about 45 minutes, it ended 45 minutes before the people entered the, they entered the Capitol. It was already, no, sorry. It was like, in reverse. Yeah, right. it was reversed. The, they, the, the, the entrance to the Capitol began 45 minutes before the end of the Trump speech. Right. Right. So and then you go you have a chapter on you kind of I think you cover maybe some of the stuff in your earlier book that you published last year about how governments hurt the poor. Can you kind of cover that before we wrap this up? Can you go into that? Yes. Um, there are so many ways that government primarily hurts the poor. One is, the most important is the fact that the government controls the economy and does a wretched job of it, causing big downturns which hurt the poor terribly. Another one that, that I, I is quite unique, I, I've never, I don't remember reading this anywhere else. It begins with the understanding of the automobile market. New automobiles are overpriced used automobiles are underpriced. So when automobiles move down the income state scale, uh, a tremendous amount of value transfers from the wealthy to the poor. The very same thing, in fact, even more so would happen in real estate if government got out of the real estate markets real estate you got them in is the government is not involved with that with with the automobile markets which is why this occurs but in real estate oh my god the government is involved with tax policies and employment uh environment all kinds of ways that the government interferes with the sales of real estate if they just stopped all of that 
this enormous privately owned, uh, never organized by anyone, it's just natural, would take place in the real estate market where people would spend a lot of money to build houses. And then as they, they vacate and move into another house, that house, it becomes owned by somebody who's less wealthy and less wealthy and less wealthy. And eventually it gets to the bottom, but all of that increases the, the, the wealth of the, of the poor. Thirdly, right. healthcare, we've already described. If healthcare were made competitive, the cost of real estate, of the, the cost of healthcare would go down by about half. Obesity. In 1973, the government passed, I got to get a drink of water. In 1973, the government passed a, gov a law for the first time that paid money to the people who grew corn and other staple commodities like that. Never did they have any thought that they would, that 50 years later, that they would be responsible for the tremendous increase in obesity because corn is, is involved and high fructose corn syrup is involved with so many of the, of the products, the, the foods that we buy, especially the prepared foods, uh, the, uh, and, and it's caused, and, and it's caused, I think it's has caused the obesity. I think so too. I've actually heard that the monies that are given to, underprivileged people are typically spent at like dollar food services at McDonald's and things like that, that are full of additives. You don't yes. even know what's in there. And a lot of those kids end up, end up unhealthy. So it's really kind of a uh, shame. I agree. Thirdly, or uh, not, no, this is number six, welfare. Um, um, Tom Sowell said, I love that man, Tom Sowell, black families survived centuries of slavery and a generation of Jim Crow, but black families disintegrated because of the expansion of the welfare state. When right. the wealth, welfare is paid, they don't pay to, the, to couples, they pay to the mother, and the more children she has, the more she gets paid. So she throws, the first fight that they have, she throws him out, and she gets another man and she has another baby and she gets more money. And the result is that so many black children are raised in single family homes and single family homes are the ways that over time after time, it causes academic failure and crime behavior and economic hardship. Yeah. a lot, And it was ostensibly given to people well-meaning, right? Oh, here's your, yeah. And out from the government. So you see another element of the government ostensibly for your benefit that doesn't actually benefit. It incentivizes divorce, separation, single parent families, and uh, and the concomitant kind of social malaise that happened after that. I mean, there's so many stories. Look at lottery. I honestly, you mentioned lottery in your book. And yesterday yes. I was at the market. And I just saw this poor person just drop 10, per, 10 bucks on lottery tickets here in California. And I just was like, yeah, that doesn't work, baby. That's not the way it to go. It certainly doesn't. And occupational licenses where the poor, they can't get work in their salons because the occupational uh, people who are in occupations, they are licensed. And the purpose of the license is to restrict 
the number of workers in those industries so that the, the, the worker prices go up, the, the wages go up. Well, th this means that the poor people cannot get those jobs because they're limited by the occupational licensing. But the products that those occupationals uh, produce are higher priced because of the of the of the uh, the licenses, and so that the poor get hurt twice. They can't get the jobs in those salons, and they have to pay higher prices when they use them. Right. Yeah, no, it's unbelievable. And then, like, here's this whole thing. Biden is supposedly the man of the poor, but he's let in a, mil a million illegal immigrants. And who does that hurt? That that dilutes the, the labor market and drives all those labor prices down. So all the rich people benefit off of cheap labor, right? Yes. But that's not the that's not the primary purpose of those of that of that immigration policy. The primary purpose is to allow people who are very likely to vote Democrat to get into the United States where they can vote Democrats. Supposedly. That's the primary purpose. So Archie, we are at 37 minutes right now. Where when is this can you remind me when the book will be published and where's the best place to for the listener to obtain the book? Probably on Amazon Books. Amazon. I don't know whether it's on Amazon yet, but it shortly will be. And thereafter, you could buy it in, in bookstores. I think it's actually place held there on Amazon. Are you going to do a Kindle, regular version? Do you have an audio book planned, you know? I have not. My publisher hasn't said anything about that. I'm happy to do that. But uh, you might read. I've heard that right now. Like some of these book purchases are 50 50. There's a lot of uh, audio books being purchased. Great. Love to do it. Is that a piano there behind you on the right? Yes, it is. Would you mind playing a little piece before we wrap this up? Oh, no, I don't practice anymore. You don't practice at all? You don't even play it? No, I don't. It, it, I, when after the lockdowns and I couldn't perform, I didn't want to practice, especially because my hands are 85 years old. Gotcha. And those they, you can't play Chopin, Rachmaninoff, and Liszt without doing ardent exercises every day, right. gotcha. finger exercises. And those finger, those exercises are beginning, we're beginning to hurt my hands. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. So they don't hurt now because I'm not doing them. But uh, so I don't play anymore. Okay. Well, I wish you, I wish it would be a nice kind of send off. But anyway, again, the title of the book is America's Bankruptcy Approaches, How to Resolve the Issue and Prevent It from Reoccurring by Archie Richards. Archie, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Bill. All right, take care. I'm Bye -bye. just going to shut this down. Just stay on, stay on the line. Okay, so that broadcast.